I always like to write on this thing. It makes me appear smarter than I really am. And uh, uh, that is, I guess, a good thing to uh, at least appear uh, when you're uh, not. So, um, if you'll turn back with me to Romans chapter 3, we'll continue our study uh, of... The very essence and heartbeat of the gospel that you and I believe and preach. Um, the language in this little section, ladies and gentlemen, is uh, there is there is none richer. Uh, there is uh, very little in the scriptures that is as um, as, as definitively um, definitional to the gospel than the words that we're studying in, in these, tonight and in the coming weeks. They are, uh, in fact, um, next week, uh, verse 25 has been called the pinnacle of the, uh, uh, of the gospel, or at least Paul's statement of the gospel. But we'll get to that next week. Tonight, uh, we're going to look at um, verses 23 and 24, but um, I, I want to remind you of something, and I've, I've said this a couple of times, but... You know, the Bible, when it was written, was written uh, with words that weren't even separated, and, and um, it was just one great letter after the other, and then uh, translators came in and broke up the words and tried to set up verses and, uh, you know, versification. That's, they, they, they tried to break it up into verses. That's called versification. And then they, they tried to put it into paragraphs and, and, and to make it into chapters just for our convenience. Now, I say that to say this. In, in, in most people's opinion, that last sentence of verse 22 really ought to somehow be attached to 23. Or maybe 23 should be attached to 22, but somehow there ought to be a, a, um, a, a stream of thought that is uninterrupted. Let me read it to you like that. For there is no difference... For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The part that I really want, things that needs to be tacked on, is this last sentence of 22. For there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no difference in Gentile and Greek, uh, Gentile and Jew, and Paul has been gone out of his way to teach that over and over and over and over and over again. But why is there no difference? Well, there is no difference because all have sinned. That, that means that we're all lumped into the same spiritual category because of our common participation in sin. Now, the, the, one of the problems that a Jew had is, is believing that, is believing um, that he was indeed a sinner and in, and in need of more than what he had. Um, you know, folks, um, we have that problem today. I, I, we had one um, person who is continuing to visit the church and is really beginning to, I think, love the church, but uh, has said to someone on a couple of occasions, I, I just still have uh, trouble thinking of myself as a sinner. Um, Tom Jordan and I have a friend that we uh, that we spend some time together, and 
uh, with, uh, we, we work out with him, and he is a sweet man, a very dear man. If, in fact, is, if you want to know anything about uh, uh, SEC football, this is the guy to go to. He knows what's going on not only at his school, but at my school, your school, their school, everybody's school, at least in the SEC. And he's a delightful character. Love it. I mean, he's just a nice gentleman. Well, Tom developed a, um, a, a real burden to go to share with the man the gospel, uh, to Tom's credit. And so Tom, indeed, made an appointment with the guy and went out to um, uh, lunch with him. Went over the gospel presentation, and, and uh, it was a very pleasant and, and friendly uh, lunch. Then a couple of days later, um, I ran into this man where we work out, and, and he came up to me and he said, you know, Tom took me out to lunch the other day. I said, yeah, well, you know. And um, he said, we talked about, you know, we, we didn't talk about football, you know. And I said, well, yeah, well, that's good. And, you know, way to go, Tom. And, and he said, um, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm really making it up from here. But and he, he, said, he said something like, you know, if Georgia doesn't get their quarterback situation worked out, um, they're not going to win a game. The, the point is, he didn't get it. He didn't get it. Now, to Tom's, and I'm not here to praise Tom Jordan, um, but the, the thing that people don't get is that one little sentence. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's why there's no difference between us. There's no difference between a Jew and a Gentile. There's no difference between an African American and an English American. For all have sinned and, and fall short of the glory of God. Now, let me concentrate on that just a little bit, because, I, but I'd really like to spend most of our time on, on verse 24. But, um, guys... If this is a foreign concept to you, let me let me make it less foreign. <laughs> um, what does it mean to sin? Well, and I know so many of you have heard this before. Please forgive me, but there there might be a little bit of new information here for you. Just kind of bear with me. The term sin that you find here, at least that's translated, and falls short. That that Greek term is hamartia. It is an archery term. And it is a term that describes an archer who takes out an arrow, pulls his bow back, shoots the arrow, and the arrow falls short of the target. For all of sin and comes short of the glory of God. Well, here's the glory of God, and all of us fall short of it. Let's say that we all go to the coastline of... Um, um, the Atlantic, and we are all deciding we're going to swim to Bermuda. Now, uh, I being the fine physical specimen that I am, uh, you know, I make it uh, seven or eight miles out into the Atlantic. But I mean, you take Eric Barnhart, look at that guy. <laughs> he ain't going to make it a couple of blocks. He'll be at the bottom of that thing. You know, and then you got Don Barsky. He might make it 12, 15 miles. But it doesn't make any difference. Because we all fall short. That's what sin is. We, the standard is here. 
and we never got there. None of us. None of us ever got there. In fact, I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, you don't need Christ to go to heaven. If you can swim all the way to Bermuda. <laughs> I, I don't, please don't take that literally. But I'm saying, if you can meet the standard, you don't need a Savior because you got no sin. But the problem is, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I want to say two things about that and then we'll move on to the next verse. The Bible gives us five definitions of sin. And these might be helpful to you. In, in, um, if somebody wonders whether they're sinners, there are, there are five places where the Bible gives definition. And I, I've given these to you before, but um, just if you haven't seen these, sometimes it might be helpful to mark them down in your Bible or on a note and, and, and use them. The, the first one's found in Romans 14, 23. Um, it says, and I'm quoting pretty well uh, here, um, for that which is not done of faith is sin. Now, anything that you do that is not done with the confidence of faith is sin. For instance, um, let's say you head down to Blockbuster and you want to rent a movie for the family. And um, uh, you got a little thing there, and you know, um, uh, we, we, you know, I don't know about the rest of you. I, I don't know what you watch, and I'm not trying to tell you what to watch. But I, I find it difficult, actually, to watch the movie at all. Uh, and I hadn't watched in a while, uh, but that's another reason. But uh, I don't want to go to an R-rated movie, and we, uh, we kind of make it a rule around our, Susie and I at least don't watch R-rated movies. But you know. Harrison Ford made a movie a couple of years ago, and uh, uh, Air Force One or something like that, uh, uh, and uh, it was rated R. And you know, I just love Harrison Ford. And, and my friends told me that there wasn't any sex in it. And there wasn't, that I can see. <laughs> I'm a little naive, but... Um, but I don't know if you ever saw Harris, uh, uh, Air Force One and people getting shot and, and that guy getting shot right in the head. And I'm telling you, I lost sleep for three days. That, that movie so upset me that I, I you know, just because of, you know, people getting killed and blown away like that, you know, Harrison Ford does win in the end, and I love that part. But, but the point is, to make a decision that I question in my own mind, mind as to the rightness or the wrongness of the decision, makes it sin for me. Now, can you go see it? Your conscience is different from mine. But if, my, if I cannot in faith do it, if I can't read that novel, if I can't watch this television show, um, this text says, that which is not done of faith is sin. Okay? That's one place you can. Uh, and one, of course, that is so controversial is this one. Um, I, I think that's right for uh, yes. It's the one that says, you know, I don't. Uh, it doesn't matter what you do, but uh, uh, it, oh, I'm sorry, my little board is. Um, I'm prejudiced against these poor people who are, you know, liberals. Um, uh, they. Um, this is the text that says, if what I do causes you to sin. Well, you sinned, but so did I. When I make someone stumble, if I cause sin in another, I have sinned too. 
And you know the issue there, ladies and gentlemen. It's particularly relevant to the female gender who wear clothes that um, are designed to do certain things to members of the other gender. And let me say, you're very successful at doing it. That is, if you're if you're trying, you don't have to work very hard on us. We're pretty we're pretty easy targets. Uh, but um, if you if you cause me to sin by your uh, lustful your skimpy dress, well, you know, think about it, mom and dad. Think about how you send your children off to church or school, or and uh, some little boy's got his eyes all over your little girl and you know and you went out and bought her the dress well you know there's a definition of sin that you might want to take a look at um the uh, another one that is um james 4 18 i think um you know this is the one about a sin of omission it's 17 james 4 17 um uh, that which i know it to do is right and do not do is sin for me if I know that there is something that is supposed to be done and I know it's right to do and I do not do it, I don't have to go out and hold up a bank. I can sin by not doing what I ought to be doing, says the scriptures. Um, to omit that, which I know is expected of me, is sin. That's just a, a definition of sin that the Bible gives you, and of course it's called a, a, a it's called a sin of omission. You, you've heard that before. The last two uh, are found in the book of First John, and the, and, and um, uh, one is First John three four, which says I, I forget them which I, I get them mixed up with, but that all lawlessness is sin. Anything less than the law is sin. Um, you know, guys, um, you know, every time I say this, people just think, look, I see you're a little, I don't know about him. And, I, you know, I, I guess I don't blame you. But, you know, um, does the Bible say that you and I are supposed to obey the civil government? Well, if you hadn't read it, it does say that, that you and I are supposed to obey the civil government. So when you get a speeding ticket on the way to church and snicker about it, um, just understand that is a piece of lawlessness, and that's sin. And, and very frankly, I don't even think the lawlessness is referring to civil law. I think it's, it's referring to you know the Decalogue. But all lawlessness is sin. And let me read you the other one, which is First uh, John five seventeen, where it says, uh, "All unrighteousness is sin." Uh, so, so there you have five definitions. Lawlessness, unrighteousness, making somebody else sin, sins of omission, and sins that are not done by faith. Okay, now keep that in mind, uh, 5, um, 17, keep that in mind just for a second. Let me show you one other thing about the verse 13, uh, 23 and we'll move on. It's interesting, at least it is to me, um, that the first verb in verse 23, for all have sinned, um, is in the Arrowist tense. Now, in the Greek language, the arrowist tense is our equivalent, not exact equivalent, but a close equivalent to the past tense. It says, for all have sinned. And I think most commentarians would agree that that is a reference to the fall. 
That is Adam's representing us and looking back on what Adam did in his representation of uh, mankind, all have sinned in the past. But interestingly enough, if you read on and fall short of the glory of God, that verb, fall short, is in the present tense. So, not only have we sinned to deal with that we must reckon with from Adam's fall. Oh, but ladies and gentlemen, the sin continues. Uh, not only are we sinful based on what Adam's representative head did to us, gosh, we've got our own that uh, uh, is enough to put us into that camp too. We're sinning continually. The, 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 the present tense in the Greek language often is used to, the, to depict a ongoing activity. So you've got one verb that talks about us in the past. You've got another verb that talks about us in the present. And it says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So you sinned and we're still falling short of the glory of God. So there is no difference for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now we come to verse 24, which um, you get something new here. Actually, it's really not, it's not exactly new because he has used the word justified before and he used it in Romans in chapter 2 and he, used it, uh, he uses it in chapter 3, verse 20. Um, so it's not a new word in the, in the epistle, but he's using it differently now. Because, and, and guys, one of the things that, that I want you to notice, and, and really, we'll, if you think I'm going slow, you ought to read the stuff that I'm reading. It, to my delight, to my absolute delight, uh, the privilege of reading. But my point is, there are, there are words that are beginning to be folded in to, to Paul's argument now that are so richly pregnant with salvific meaning, you hate to jump over it. You hate to, you hate to go very fast because th these, each word has something um, to, to, to cause us to pause, slow down, take a look at it, so to make sure that we get that little nuance of what Paul is trying to say. And, and here, you got lots of them. You got lots of little words in here uh, that you really, for instance, justified uh, freely by His grace, redemption. Look at next week's. You got propitiation. You, you know, you got all these words that that mean big things. So slow down and let's let's enjoy them all. Being justified freely. By His grace. You know, ladies and gentlemen, um, for the life of me, uh, yes, I think I do know why I was about to People miss the gospel. This man I told you about, the automatacy, they, they hear it and it goes right through one ear and out the other. But ladies and gentlemen, I, I, if this subject wasn't so important, you would almost get tired of hearing the numerous, numerous ways and times that Paul tries to convey the heart of the gospel. 
it's like he's slamming so much information into the the smallest available uh, portion of ink and paper, but into what he says, it, it, pour a little water on it, and it's just mushrooms in front of you, because there's so much said. It's like it's like uh, I think I've said this to you before. It's, it's kind of like a uh, you're, you've got an island off the coast, and um, and uh, you're you're in a sailboat, and and there's all these little places that you want to visit on this island, and and you you kind of sail in and, and land at these different spots. Uh, here's a little spot over here that that has a waterfall, and so you kind of say, well, I, there's not a, there's not a port there, but you know I can just kind of pull my boat in up here. But my point is, it's almost that's what Paul is doing. He said, okay, let me show you the gospel. Let's say it over here. Let's take a look at it over here. But then we're going to go down here. We're going to look at the same thing. And then we're going to go over here and here, over here and here. More. He is going to cover it from every possible vantage point. So that hopefully none of us will miss it. People still miss it. But it's not Paul's fault. Um, being justified freely by his grace. Gang, um, the word justified is a word that I think you all understand, um, but but justification or being justified, you'll notice it's in the passive, that is that God does the justifying. Justification is a declarative act. It is a statement that God makes about you. I've told you that in here before. I hope it doesn't bore you to hear it again. But we are declared just. We are declared righteous by God. And that, of course, is an act that God does himself. Um, But that justification makes no change in us. Now, 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 I'll tell you, Christians are, are confused. The, the, the work of God that is taking place, that is making a change in us, is not called justification. That is called sanctification. That is the Holy Spirit's taking up residence within us. That's not in this text, of course. But he is taking up residence within us to, to, to make us different. But justification is simply a declarative act where God declares us to be righteous. There there is no difference in the character of the Jew and the Gentile. And the good news is, nor is there any difference in the way that we receive God's righteousness. We're equal in terms of our status before him, but we're also equal in the way to receive his righteousness. Oh, there might be lots of differences uh, societally. Oh, you may be a lot smarter, more educated, but you are. there's no difference in you and the next man when it comes to the fact that you're a sinner. But, ladies and gentlemen, there is also no difference in the way that righteousness becomes yours. Now, notice what he says. Being justified freely by his grace. He stacks words together and there's an instance. Justified, 
freely by his grace which has the impact or the effect of emphasizing the completely unmerited character of God's justification. Justification is a gift. It is something God grants. Okay, so, so how does this salvation become mine, Jimmy? Well, notice, first of all, freely, by His grace, this salvation is a gift entirely gratuitous. I want to show you something, if you can find real fast, uh, John 15, because there's a word there that might help you understand a word over here. John 15, Jesus makes a statement. In John 15, 25, he says this. But this happened, that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. Notice that, without a cause. That is the Greek word dorian. That is the same word that you find over here that is translated freely. That is, he has justified you, but he has found no cause in you to do so. There is nothing about you, nothing in you that predisposes God to come say, okay, I'll justify, uh, justify him. He does it freely. Dorian without cause. Same word as I said, as you found in, in John 15, 25. And then the word, uh, the word grace brings out this, the same idea of unmerited rich favor from God. Grace arising from, uh, arising solely from the, from the grand and glorious great heart of God without anything whatsoever in us to produce it. We are being justified freely by His grace. This, this action on God's part derives its whole motivation, its whole explanation, its whole determination from what God Himself is and does. And ladies and gentlemen, to tamper with that in, in the in the itsy bitsy bitsiest way is is to undercut and emasculate not only the statement but grace entirely. Just think about it. <clears throat> Let, let's see if we can play. Being justified freely by his grace as long as you get baptized. Do you see what that would do to the text? Being justified freely by His grace to anyone who goes through confirmation class. And, and I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, not just the majority, but the vast majority of your fellow Americans believe just that. There it sets before you, being justified freely by His grace. Oh yeah, but you know, you gotta, you gotta go to church for it. I don't know why they, I don't know how they miss it. But Paul is trying to make clear, or make sure that they don't, but they do. 
we cannot tamper with this. Being justified freely by his grace. John Owen is another one of my uh, Puritan heroes. But John Owen says that, and I'm quoting, that the imputation of righteousness to the sinner is an act of God ex mira gratia the, the extending or imputation of righteousness to a sinner says Owen is ex mira gratia of his mere love and grace and you must not tamper with that in the slightest its explanation is to be found bound up in the great heart of God now I've had to resist going further because I wanted to wait on the text but on what grounds does God then do this notice the text through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus how does God find a way to render or declare the sinful man righteous through the redemption that is in Christ? Redemption is a word that, it, that appears ten times in the, in the New Testament, ladies and gentlemen. And um, every time it means the same thing. And there's, you know, I read so much so many commentaries and they're all trying to define it just a little bit differently but basically the, the, the definition of redemption is simply to buy back at a price to purchase to purchase back the purchase of a release by means of the payment of a ransom price that's what redemption is how does God do it? He does it through the payment of of a ransom price. Well, who paid that, for heaven's sakes? The redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, he justifies freely by his grace, but there is nothing free, there is nothing cheap about the salvation that you and I enjoy. It is a salvation that came at a very high price. And to turn our noses up at that, ladies and gentlemen, for men to turn their noses up at that, for anyone to turn their nose up at that. We are, we are purchased, bought back, released, delivered from the wrath of God because a ransom price has been paid by Jesus Christ. Now, I got four minutes left, and I hope I don't do this to you every week. I, I'm sure you hope I don't do this to you every week, too. But I found a couple of quotes that I, that I have to leave you with. Um, this is actually the first two. How many I got? Yeah, two. I got three. Two of them came from that same book that I mentioned last week, Hal Dane's book. But he had... I want to say nine, but I think it was eight. He had eight pages on one verse. 
and a lot of what he wrote on verse 24 is that he was quoting people from various denominational stripes, the Church of England, you know, the, the Canons of Dort, um, and he was quoting all, and they were, you know, pretty much saying the same thing when, and um, using the same language. But I, I want to, I want you to hear his summary, which to me, I mean, it's it's long, it's it's three three sentences maybe, but it even as lengthy and succinct. The above quotations are not given in the way of a. The above quotations are not given in the way of authority, but as expressing the truth and evincing the unanimity of believers of different communions on this all-important part. Okay, he just said, I just gave you all these quotes just to show you that everybody agrees on this one important point. The sum of them is... So now what he's going to do is in one sentence, a long sentence, he's going to summarize all that these divines have said. These, these guys. The sum of them is this, that believers are absolved from condemnation and entitled to eternal life by the free and sovereign favor of God as its original first moving cause without any desert in themselves but solely in virtue of the righteousness of Christ, which includes an infinitely valuable price of redemption, a price that was paid for them by his obedience and sufferings to death. Could you possibly miss the gospel in that sentence? I I know that might be a little wordy, ladies and gentlemen. But is that not the summation of the whole thing? Let me read it real fast. Believers are absolved from condemnation and entitled to eternal life by the free and sovereign favor of God as its original first moving cause without any desert in themselves but solely in virtue of the righteousness of Christ which includes an infinitely valuable price of redemption a price that was paid for them by His, Christ's obedience and sufferings to death. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. There it is. Now, one other quote, and then I got something from another guy that I want to close with. But Haldane says this, and I, when I when I read this, ladies and gentlemen, I sat at my desk and and I said, yes. In fact, I got it right. I, I wrote it in there. Yes. Listen to this. The plan of salvation through the righteousness of Jesus Christ is so deep and astonishing an instance of divine wisdom that while it is not at all perceived by the wisdom of the world, they don't understand it, it even in some measure lies hid from those who are savingly enlightened by it. Do you understand what he's saying? He says... This plan of salvation through the righteousness of Christ is so deep, so astonishing, so amazing, so limitless, so inexplicable that, oh yeah, the world, they don't understand it. But even us, even we who have bought into it, even we who have benefited from it, we are still trying to plumb the depths of this gospel. Even in some measure lies hidden 
from those who are savingly enlightened by it. There you sit, my dear brother and sister in Christ, savingly enlightened by the gospel. And guess what? You don't understand it. And neither do I. It is too glorious. When I read this to my wife, I cried. I'll try not to here. During a time of particular spiritual oppression, this means saying, in a period I was going through that was really hard and bad and ugly and dark, when I could not seem to shake the sense that God was implacably disappointed in me. Ever had one of those? During a period when I, I just couldn't seem to shake the idea that God was upset with me. I was walking by the ocean one morning when I spied a child's valentine lying in the sand. The message read, You're okay with me, Valentine. I took it home and I showed it to my wife who promptly wrote on it, To Mike, love God. You see what this little wife was doing? You're okay with me, Valentine. And so she wrote on it, This was to you from God. Isn't it funny how a person can be a Christian and really not know the gospel? Isn't it strange how Christ can live inside us without our really enjoying Him? I wonder how many of you are here tonight. Enjoy. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to get there. I may be a dead man when I get there, but I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there where Christ is living in me and I'm enjoying Him. Isn't it strange how Christ can live inside us without our really, know, without our really enjoying Him? But perhaps it's not so strange. After all, we've only had this gospel for 2,000 years. That's not a very long time for a fallen race to assimilate the incredible reality of inexhaustible mercy and, inter and eternal life. The gospel, it turns out, is not only good news, it is much better news than any of us had ever imagined. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I spend my time, a whole lot of time, trying to convince people that they're sinners. All for the sake of being having the privilege to convince them that I preach a gospel that is unfathomable. Our Father, I pray that your people's hearts would be would be prompted to greater heights of absolute exhilaration as they hear of, of this grand gospel that you have outlined so clearly for us. 
uh, in your word, having gone to such incredible extremes to, to see to it that it would be clear and emphatic and available. And oh God, we bless you for it. We want the gospel to be preached to our souls daily because we want to relive the glory of thinking that Jesus Christ lives inside us, that we are loved, and we want to enjoy that. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Good night.